This message by Mike Pluniak was recorded during a Sunday celebration service for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Mike serves as a pastor on staff at Cornerstone Church. Christmas, everyone. Is it okay for me to say it now? Merry Christmas. Now it's approved. Merry Christmas. Go ahead and open your Bibles up to Isaiah chapter 9. This morning, taking a break from our First Peter series as we kick off our Advent series called Expectant Hope. Advent is a, is a season to think about the promises that God made to send a Savior, to sense the anticipation that the people of God had for finally seeing Him, for the, the longing they had for Him to reign on the throne of David, to set God's people free and to be their King. And as the New Testament authors write about the miracle of Jesus' birth, they continually go back to the prophet Isaiah. And they see that God told His people what to look for, exactly what to look for hundreds of years before Jesus was born. And it filled them with hope and joy and anticipation. And I pray It does that for us this morning as we now can look back at a God who has fulfilled all His promises to us in Jesus Christ. We're going to look at Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. And this is what God's Word says to us this morning. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult, And every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of His government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over His kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Amen. This is God's Word 
for us today. And I'm sure many of you have heard those last few verses of our text as they have famously been sung all over the world every year during Christmas as part of Handel's Messiah. Written in 1741, George Handel was on the brink of utter ruin when he wrote his masterpiece. Handel had entered into a dark time in his life. He was 56 years old. His health was failing him. He had amassed a great amount of debt. Uh, Back at that time, there was no declaring bankruptcy. Uh, At the time, if you had great debt, you had to go to prison to pay off your debt. And his friends were sure that if he went to prison, it would probably kill him. And so to avoid prison, Handel fled from London to Ireland, where a good friend, Charles Jennings, gave him a text that he had put together that he wanted Handel to put music to. The text was essentially 73 verses from the Old and New Testament about the Messiah. And as as Handel began to read through these scriptures, he was invigorated. He came alive. He began to have hope once again. He wrote the whole Messiah in just 24 days. The finished score was 259 pages of music he had written to these scriptures in 24 days. They said that he barely ate or slept while he was writing it. At one point, As they brought food into his room, trying to encourage him to eat something, they found him on the ground weeping. He had just written the Hallelujah Chorus. Handel said that it was as if heaven was opened before him and he could see God seated on his throne, surrounded by angels. Writing the Messiah, coming to these scriptures, transformed Handel's life. In the midst of a very dark time, Isaiah chapter 9 and scriptures like it brought life and hope into his life. They brought light into his life. This morning, I believe God wants to, in the midst of a dark time, fill you with light and hope this Advent season. As one person said to me this week, it seems like we've never needed Advent more. And I agree. And we're going to look at this text and the hope it brings to us through two points this morning. Point number one is this. Jesus is light into our darkness. Jesus is light into our darkness. In our text in Isaiah, if you you read along in Isaiah up to this point, we find the nation of Judah entering a time of national crisis. King Uzziah has recently died. King Ahaz is on the throne and he is an ungodly and corrupt king who refuses to turn to the Lord. As a nation, they have the Assyrian army on their doorstep ready to invade and conquer them. Israel, the nation to the north, has joined forces. They have abandoned them. And so they're they're this little tiny nation. They're being surrounded by darkness. Their king is corrupt and ungodly. Times are very dark for them. On top of their dark circumstances, we find the people themselves thrust into darkness. 
Chapter 2, verse 7, the land, Isaiah says, is filled with silver and gold. Their GDP is doing great. Their economy is thriving. And yet, Isaiah says that their land is also filled with idols. That they've begun to trust in their things and they've begun to bow down to these false gods instead of their Lord God. In chapter 5, God compares them to a vineyard that's been carefully planted and tended to and protected and yet this vineyard has produced these wild grapes that are out of control and God asked the people what more could I have done than I did for this vineyard in spite of God's goodness and provision they have turned against him and then by chapter 8 in verse 19 you will see that they've begun to turn to, to mediums and necromancers rather than turning to God they're spiritual people but they've turned to the occult and witchcraft and they've turned to these false gods of these other nations rather than trusting in Yahweh, their God. So we find the people at a time with, with dark circumstances around them, but Isaiah is telling them what's even darker is what's coming out of them. The darkness in their hearts, their sin against their God. Our greatest problem is not the darkness around us. It's the darkness within us. And it's into that darkness, God gives Isaiah a vision. A vision that is filled with light and hope and joy and freedom and peace. Look at verse 2 of our text. He begins by telling them the people who walked in darkness, these people that he's talking to, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of a deep darkness, on them has light shined. Isaiah's vision is of a land covered and just engulfed in darkness. And this bright sunrise coming and shining this light on the people of God. The darkest place we have like that on earth that, that I could find online is Longyearbyen, Norway. That's a great name for a city. Longyearbyen, which is the northernmost city in the world. It's a small island in the Arctic Ocean. Every year, Longyearbyen is plunged into a polar night. Four months with no appearance of the sun. Four months of darkness, which they are in right now. A photographer spent last winter there. After 113 days of darkness, she went with her guide to see the first sunrise of the year, which was in February. And she took pictures and described how they had been, it had been dark for so long that it was the biggest day of the year for them. And there was a mountain off in the horizon and you had to kind of go out of the city to see the mountain. And the sun, it didn't rise over them. It just rose kind of from behind this mountain, lasted about an hour, and then it disappeared into the next mountain behind it. But she said she went with her guide. And after the darkness, all the people were gathered together. And as the sun began to appear for the first time in 113 days, she looked over and she saw her guide was just weeping, seeing the sun for the first time. Unfortunately, she said the tears froze to his face because it was negative 40 degrees Celsius. But she said it was still moving that after so long being in darkness, just the appearance of the sun brought them such joy and hope and warmth. 
God's people here are about to enter a long, a long polar night. Hundreds of years of darkness waiting for the sunrise. And God tells them, a bright light is coming. Just, just hold on. I know you're thrust into deep darkness and the land is covered in darkness. But, but hold on. The sun will rise again. I love Zechariah's prophecy. John the Baptist's father. He says the sunrise will visit us from on high. To give light to those who sit in darkness and to guide our feet into the way of peace. Jesus is the sunrise that God promises to come to bring light into our life. And what's amazing in our text in verse 1 is that Isaiah says that this light is going to come out of the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, which that may not mean much to you right now. And to, the, to, to Isaiah's hearers, that would have been an odd statement for him to make because the land north of there where Zebulun and Aphtali were, nothing good came out of that land. Yet, in Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus began his ministry, Matthew tells us this. In Matthew 4, verses 12 through 14, he says, Now when he heard that John the Baptist had been arrested... He withdrew into Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. And then Matthew quotes Isaiah 9 verses 1 through 2, and he's telling us this bright light coming out of this land is Jesus Christ. And it's in Galilee where Jesus begins his ministry. It's, it's a dark place and he begins his teaching. He begins his miracles. He begins healing them in Galilee. He begins preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. And he begins healing their diseases and afflictions and delivering those oppressed by demons. And great crowds begin following Jesus, this Jew. And they begin bringing all the sick to him. And they begin bringing all those oppressed by demons to him. And Jesus is going throughout all this land and he's healing their sickness and delivering them. And he's teaching them with authority. And, and everyone is just amazed and into their dark lives lives, this, this light is coming out of this land exactly as Isaiah told us it would come. Jesus himself in John 8, 12 says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And it's out of this land, as Isaiah tells us, this sun begins to rise and hope begins coming to the people of God after waiting for many years. And look with me at verse 3. Look at the effect that this sunrise from on high is going to have. Isaiah says, you have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad. You see that he's saying when this sun comes, when this light comes into the darkness, it's going to bring joy. Your joy is going to increase. You're going to be rejoicing. You are going to be glad. It's like harvest time. And they're celebrating and rejoicing. And everyone is laughing and dancing. He's saying that's the days that are coming for you when 
this one comes to deliver you. It brings them joy. And my prayer during this Advent season is you would see Jesus as the light of the world and it would bring you joy. Joy regardless of circumstances or what's going on around us. Joy because he has come. And that's the effect we see that the Christmas story has. I mean, this this month, take some time and read through Matthew's account of the birth of Jesus. And take some time to read through Luke's account of the birth of Jesus. And you'll notice something. Every single person who recognizes who this baby is, is filled with joy. You just read through the account and you see the the wise men, when they finally discover who he is and they find him, it says that they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy and they fell down and they worshipped this baby. It says the shepherds went home. They, 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 remember the angel appeared to them and they go to Bethlehem and they find Mary and they find this baby, the deliverer, the shepherd of Israel. And it says they went home glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. We find Mary magnifying the Lord and saying that she rejoices in God her Savior. Even John the Baptist in the womb is leaping for joy Because the Savior is near him. So remember, my first Christmas. Became a Christian sometime in October, uh, my freshman year of college. And I remember the first Christmas after becoming a Christian. It was like all these Christmas carols we sing. They had new meaning. I understood what they were talking about. I understood finally what Christmas was all about. And it brought me such joy. I remember thinking, you know, this has nothing to do with presents. It has nothing to do with my family. It's just, just experiencing joy of the Lord because the Savior has come. Joy to the world finally made sense to me. You know, I didn't understand it before. Jesus is light into our darkness. Who we're celebrating this Advent season. Point number two. Jesus is the Son given to us. Jesus is the light into our darkness, and Jesus is the Son given to us. Look down at verses 4 and 5. Isaiah sees, he says, that when this light comes, in verse 4, he talks about the yoke of his burden, the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, that it's going to be broken. And then in verse 5, he talks about the, the, the boots of the warriors and, and the people of God. It's like you could hear the Assyrian soldiers coming and you could hear their boots right outside their door. And how the garments of these soldiers that are rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. And when, when we hear this, and when I read this, you know that, that God is going to send someone to help and you hear about this, this battle and soldiers and the rod of their oppressor going to be broken. We think of one who's going to come, who's going to be a great warrior, a soldier, a conqueror, you know, a, a hero who comes with a sword and an army that he's going to, to be leading to destroy those who are oppressing the people of God. And as I read this, I don't know why I remembered this, but I remember as a little boy watching wrestling. 
I don't know if, any of, if anyone else here has watched wrestling. It's basically just soap operas for little boys, you know, these wrestling matches going on. But I remember watching wrestling. And I remember every time we watched wrestling in my house, there would always be this moment every time where there were like four or five bad guys, you know, the bad wrestlers, the mean ones. And they'd be in the ring and they'd be like, there'd be one good guy who would be wearing like cut off blue jeans or something. And they'd all be kicking him in the head and punching him. And they'd be walking around mocking the crowd, you know, like being real arrogant. And they'd run over and kick him in the head again. And I'd be so angry. I remember getting so angry at these guys. Like, oh, these are bad guys, you know, and they're beating up this guy. And then every single time this happened, without fail, this music would come on. And it'd just be faint, you know, and you could tell. The crowd would start looking around, and I'd start getting excited, and, and the music would start growing and growing, and the bad guys would start looking around because they knew that song that was playing. And they always had a tunnel in wrestling, and out of the tunnel would come Hulk Hogan, you know, and Randy the Macho Man Savage, and the Ultimate Warrior, and they'd come, like, just coming out of the tunnel and they'd start having that crazy look in their eye and they'd start nodding their head and they'd rip their shirts off, you know, and the crowd would be going wild and I'd be jumping on the couch and throwing elbows at my brother, you know, and it was like, this is going to happen and the bad guys would all run away because they were cowards, you know, and how shocking, how shocking is it in verse Six, after reading verse 4 and 5, that Isaiah tells us the one coming out of the tunnel is a baby. I mean, just picture that. You know, the music comes on, we're getting excited, and here comes a baby out of the tunnel. Just kind of like, oh, that's not what I thought was about to happen right now. He says in verse 6, look at verse 6, for to us a child is born. To us a son is given. Isaiah does this a lot. He focuses on the Messiah being a baby. In chapter 7, verse 14, he tells us that there's going to be a sign. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Ray Ortland writes this in his commentary on Isaiah. He says, God's answer to everything that terrorized us is a child. The power of God is so far superior to the Assyrians and all the big shots of this world that he can defeat them by coming as a mere child. His answer, I like this, his answer to the bullies swaggering through history is not to become an even bigger bully. His answer is Jesus. His answer is to come as a child. God's answer is to give his son. And he tells us over and over, over and over in the Old Testament, over hundreds of years, this is what to look for. The virgin shall bear a son and his name shall be Emmanuel. Look for this sign that he's going to be in the city of David in Bethlehem, the prophet Micah tells us. This is what to look for and this is what we find in Jesus Christ. It's no small thing what we are doing as we celebrate Christmas. We're celebrating the incarnation. God became man. And Isaiah 
doesn't tell us here what this child will do for us. That's going to become increasingly clear as he goes throughout his prophecies that this one will be the suffering servant. But in our text, he's really focused more on who this child will be. And he gives us four names for this Messiah. Look at verse 6 again. Where he calls them, he says, His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. This word wonderful means supernatural. It means that in Christ, in the Messiah, we have a supernatural counselor. 1 Corinthians 1 says that Christ has become for us wisdom from God. It means that we, we, can, we can look to Jesus and we can see what it means to be righteous, what it means to honor God in all things, what it means to be compassionate and loving and full of grace and yet also full of truth, to get the right priorities that God cares about, not just outward obedience, but heart transformation and love for God. And in Christ, we find a counselor who, can just, who doesn't just tell us the right things to do, right? We can find someone who we can sit down with and they can say, listen, you're doing the wrong things. You're thinking wrong. This is what you need to be doing. And we'll often say, yeah, I know what I should be doing, but I can't do it, you know? And Jesus is just not another counselor. He's a supernatural counselor. He has power not just to show us what the right thing to do is, but he can actually change our desires to want to do that thing. He is a wonderful counselor. And he promises that he'll do that for us, that he'll make us born again. He'll give us new hearts. And then Jesus makes this crazy promise where he says, not only am I going to give you a new heart, but I'm going to put my Holy Spirit inside of you. And he calls the Holy Spirit the counselor. That him, God himself will dwell inside of us by his spirit and he will guide us and lead us and fill us with good fruit in our lives. This love and this joy and this kindness and goodness, all these fruits of the spirit of God leading us to Jesus Christ. This Messiah would be a wonderful counselor. He would be, Isaiah says, mighty God. When the angel told Mary she would bear the Son of God. And Mary asked, how can this be? It's a great question. How can this be? The angel tells her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy the Son of God. The angel appears to Joseph and tells him, that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Why this is so important to these authors is the virgin birth makes possible Jesus being fully God and fully man. He is mighty God. And as Jesus grows up, everything we see confirms this truth, doesn't it? Jesus is Emmanuel. He is God with us. He is mighty God. He, he heals the blind and the sick and the lepers. I mean, sickness flees at the sound of his voice. He casts out demons. He brought the dead back to life. He walked on water. He calms the sea with a word. He rises from the dead. He is mighty God. The things Jesus does can only be done by God. 
Jesus is mighty God who is to be worshipped and praised. May we be like the wise men this season who bow down and worship him with great joy when we realize this is God incarnate. This is amazing. He is everlasting Father. John 14, 18. Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Every one of us is born a spiritual orphan. Jesus brings us into the family of God. It's only by Christ and through Christ that we can be adopted into God's family. And I know, man, this this time of year is just filled with family gatherings. And I know it brings joy to so many. But I also know that there are many who this time of year, it's a reminder of what you don't have. It's a reminder of, of broken relationships, of hard relationships. It's a reminder of lost loved ones. Maybe there's an empty seat at the table where last year someone was there. Maybe an empty seat at the table of someone who's never been there, that you desired would be there your whole life. And you see all these people celebrating and you want to rejoice and you want to celebrate and yet there is this lingering, just kind of pain a little bit. That man, just all these families are gathering and my family's not quite what I hope it would be be Christ promised he would come to you that you would have an everlasting father so unlike even even many here who have fathers you look and say you know becoming a Christian was like coming to a father that I longed for my whole life Jesus promised he would come to you that he would bring you into a family the family of God that he would bring you to God, your everlasting Father. Just a few weeks ago, I was talking to a member of our church, and I never knew this about him, but just asking him his story, and he had lost both his parents uh, when he was one year old, and said that he was raised by his grandparents, and lost both his grandparents when he was a teenager, and was telling us that when he came to UT, he became a Christian through the ministry of this church. And he just made this sentence saying, just since then, you know, this has been my family. And I just thought, you know, that is so the way it should be for all of us. This is the family of God. I love how Paul calls it the household of God. This is God's house. This is God's family. He's our father. And when we come together, I mean, for this person, when he comes on Sunday morning, this is a family gathering. Every week, the whole family's getting together, and we're, it's a celebration for him. Man, this is a family party going on every Sunday morning. Jesus says, you know, for those who don't have this family, I'm going to bring you into the family of God. And God is going to be your everlasting father. And finally, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He is the wonderful counselor. He is the mighty God, everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Remember when the great multitude of angels appeared in the sky to the shepherds. The song they were singing was glory to God in the highest and on earth peace 
among those with whom he is pleased. Don't we long for peace? I know I do. This week I, I found this song written in 1971 by Simon and Garfunkel. Uh, they recorded this beautiful version of Silent Night. And as the song begins, it's their soft voices singing, Silent Night, Holy Night. All is calm, all is bright. Round young virgin, mother and child, holy infant so tender and mild, sleep in heavenly peace. And it's just so, so perfect, so sweet, the song they're singing. And all of a sudden in this recording, this news broadcast starts coming in behind their voices. And it's a newscaster who's saying these different sections of the news over them singing Silent Night. And the newscaster has a clip about a fight in the House of Representatives over the open housing section of the Civil Rights Bill. He has a clip about Martin Luther King Jr. saying he isn't going to cancel plans for a march in Chicago over it. And the Chicago sheriff saying he would call out the National Guard. It's a clip about comedian Lenny Bruce dying in Los Angeles of a drug overdose. Of a man in Chicago being brought before a grand jury for murdering nine nursing students. A clip of Nixon saying that the U.S. should anticipate five more years of war in Vietnam. And as Simon and Garfunkel's voice drift off, they, they slowly fade off, sleep in heavenly peace. The news announcer says, that's the 7 o'clock edition of the news. Good night. And as you listen to it, it just captures this tension we feel, doesn't it? Tension of this peaceful song of promise and hope and what we celebrate at Christmas and the reality of the world we live in. Political unrest, war, drug addiction, sickness, sin, and death. And I just listened to that song and it just captured oh, the tension we feel this year and how we long for peace. We just long for peace. It's into this world, into that darkness. God is not unaware of what we are walking through. He wasn't aware of what was happening to the people of God in Judah and into this darkness he has these words he says in verse 7 look down at verse 7 of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end he's saying his empire of grace will expand and it will expand and it will grow and it will grow and it will grow and there will be no end to the peace we experience in Jesus Christ. It transcends nations and empires. The Assyrians are just a blip on the map of history. I mean, they just appear and they're gone. The Babylonians appear and they're gone. The Romans come and they are gone. But this empire with this king, it has no end. And you can just look at a map today and see the lines for each nation or country. And typically, the, the lines of a nation show its boundaries, where that's as far as its sovereignty goes or its laws. Don't go beyond that. 
And Isaiah is saying, for this one, this wonderful counselor, this mighty God, this everlasting father, this prince of peace, when his empire comes, it transcends nations and boundary lines. It's not contained in any part of the earth. It expands and it grows and it grows. His authority, his government, and with it, his peace has no end. And it doesn't go by military conquest. It doesn't expand through armies and not by war, but it expands by forgiveness, by hope, and through peace. It's what the New Testament calls the gospel of peace. Just think about that. He's the prince of peace. That's what happens when he comes and rules. It brings peace. Jesus came to bring us peace. Primarily peace with God, but also peace with one another. He came to bring us peace because He is the one mediator between God and man. And He can represent both parties. And those who are enemies at war with each other, He brings peace. We sang this morning my favorite Christmas carol. Hark the herald angels sing. I love the line, hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. That's the peace the Prince of Peace brings. God and sinners reconciled. We all this morning, whether you're here or watching online, we need peace with God. We are born as enemies of God. Sinners against God's holy law and commandments. We have made ourselves His enemy. And on the cross of Jesus Christ, Jesus paid the price necessary to reconcile us to God. The moment He was born, this began. His journey to the cross began while He was in the cradle. He represented us in everything He did. And on the cross, as He bore the punishment of God, the wrath of God for the sins of mankind, He was bringing us peace with God. Because we can be forgiven of our sins. We have hope of eternal life. We have hope that this is not the final story, but there's one day we will be in eternity with God our everlasting Father. And since that moment, His kingdom has been expanding and growing and growing to every nation and every tongue and every tribe on this earth. His kingdom of peace has been spreading. And it keeps going until what we read this morning in Revelation 21. Listen to these words once again. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Right now, we get to experience, because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we get to experience peace with God. We get to experience peace with one another. And one day, all we will experience is peace. That's all we're going to experience. It's, it's just peace. Read about heaven and revelation. It is just a description of peace. No more war. No more disease or sickness. No more COVID. No more cancer. No more mourning. No more crying. No more pain. And no more death. All their days are numbered because He has come and His kingdom is expanding. And this is the second 
Advent that we have expectant hope for. So we go to Isaiah and we put ourselves in the shoes of Israel and we think about, man, they were longing to see this one, this, this, this Messiah come. And now on this side of the cross, on this side of the incarnation, we can look back and we can say, yes, God said these things through the prophets and every single one of them, He fulfilled exactly what He said He would do. He is a God who is faithful to His Word. And we can look and study Isaiah and see, yes, God, You are faithful and good and true and You fulfill all Your promises. And then we turn to Revelation and we see this future waiting for us, a future of peace and of being with God and of being His people and being in His presence. And we look at Revelation 21 and we can look back and say, yes, God is faithful. He has always fulfilled what he said he would do. And we know that's where we're going because God has said it. And it is true. This is, this is what we celebrate in Advent. We celebrate Christ has come and we celebrate heaven is coming. And I want to finish with this quote from Johnny Erickson Tata, and if you know her story, just brings more significance to this quote. She says, On this side of eternity, Christmas is still a promise. Yes, the Savior has come, and with Him peace on earth, but the story is not finished. Yes, there is peace in our hearts, but we long for peace in our world. Every Christmas is still a turning of the page until Jesus returns. Every December 25th marks another year that draws us closer to the fulfillment of the ages. That draws us closer to home. When we realize that Jesus is the answer to our deepest longing, even Christmas longings, each Advent brings us closer to his glorious return on earth when we see him as he is king of kings and lord of lords that will be Christmas indeed amen let's pray father thank you this morning for your word we turn to our old testaments and we see a God who is faithful to all of His promises. And I pray this morning, Father, that You would fill us with hope. Fill us with light. Fill us with life. As we celebrate Christmas, as we celebrate this Advent season, I pray for every person here this morning, every person at home watching on our live stream, that You would fill them with expectant hope. That as they look at their circumstances, as they look at what's going on around them, they would see a God who is sovereign, who is faithful, who is good, who is faithful to send the Savior, Jesus Christ, to save us from our sins. And you will be faithful, Lord, to lead us home. And we long for heaven with expectant hope. So fill us with your Spirit. Fill us with this hope, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to a message given by Mike Pluniak during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, 
visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.